Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you to Jake and to Alex for giving me the opportunity and the privilege to speak with you guys this morning. Um, I feel very undeserving of it, but I am incredibly grateful uh, to have this platform. So thank you guys. I know that it's an honor. Um, So I am a middle school teacher by training. So just standing up and talking is not my normal forte. I'm not going to like make you do any group projects or raise your hand and answer any questions, but I do have one small little taste of middle school that I would like for us to do together before we dive into our message today. Don't worry, you don't have to get up. Um, So when I used to teach, I would start every class with something, we called it a bell ringer. And it's just what it sounds like when the bell rings, it's a question or a writing prompt that just kind of gets your mind thinking about the ideas or the topics that we're going to discuss that day. So... Your bell ringer today is I want you to think about words that describe you. Now, before you start, these are not church words. They're not easy ones. They're not the ones that the Sunday school teacher wants to hear. Uh, These are the words that maybe keep you up at night. Um, Maybe if you have a therapist, they're the words that you talk to them about. These are the hard words. So you may only have one. You may have none. If you have none, class dismissed, you can go home. (laughs) But if you're like me, you probably have quite a few. So I'm just going to give you like 10 seconds. Get those words in your mind, and we'll come back to them in just a second. Okay, so when Jake asked me to participate in this Women's Month, um, a question came to my mind that is really new in our culture, Um, It's really just come up in the last year or two. And that question is, what is a woman? Um, Let me just pause. My my husband and my parents are here. They can attest I am the least politically charged person you will ever meet. (laughs) This is not going to be a sermon about gender identity or anything like that. But the question made me start to consider some reasons that people choose different identities for themselves. With a few exceptions, if you think back through history, if you were privileged enough to be born a man, you had certain rights, certain things that being born into kind of the weaker sex didn't give to you. And as I thought about that, I started to think about the identity that I choose for myself uh, versus the identity that the Lord has of me. What does the Bible say that I am versus how I see myself? So as you're thinking about these words that you have of yourself in your mind, I want you to think about the fact, are they positive words? Are they negative words? How do you see yourself and how does the Lord see you? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm going to discuss some women in scripture. Uh, They were each given identities or assumed identities about themselves uh, that could have easily defined them and ended their stories. Uh, But instead... They had a creator who loved them, who gave them new identity, and they were able to walk in that and fulfill the promises that he had for them. So I have 
divided these identities into a couple of different categories. Um, when I was getting ready, I had three, and then I was praying about this, and I had another one pop into my head. So there's going to be four. Um, but as I'm going through each of these, I just want you to reflect back on those words that you use to describe yourself and think about if any of them fall into any of these categories. Um, so the first I'm calling identities that we do not choose. Um, has anybody watched that show, The Chosen? Yeah? Okay. So I think it's the very first episode of The Chosen. Maybe it's the second. Um, we see the life of Mary Magdalene before she meets Jesus. Um, and if I'm honest, like, I hadn't really paid much attention to Mary Magdalene's story before. Um, she's mentioned throughout New Testament in Jesus' life, but there's not a whole lot about her. Um, so we're first introduced to her in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, hold on, i got to get my old lady glasses. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So... I think I've probably read that passage dozens of times and skimmed right past it to get to the meat of the story. Uh, that just feels like a filler verse to me. But after I watched that episode of The Chosen, I started to kind of consider the life of Mary Magdalene and what she was going through before she met Jesus. She was inhabited. Her entire identity was taken over by these seven evil spirits. Um, I, I'll be honest, I, I don't think I've ever witnessed blatant demon possession that I could identify. I'm sure I have seen it. Um, but I have to imagine that her life was literal hell on earth. She probably lost friends. She was probably had strained relationships, if any, with her family. She had lost control of her mind, her body, her words. Her defining feature became this possession. So as I was researching her, um, I found some verses in Matthew uh, that Jesus says. This comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 and 40, through 45. Jesus says, When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and settle there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. So I don't know if this situation applies to Mary Magdalene, but if it does, we can assume that she had been struggling through this for a long time. Perhaps she had been uh, inhabited by one evil spirit, and maybe she sought help. Maybe she tried to defeat this by herself, and maybe it worked for a short amount of time. She may have felt a little bit of freedom, only to be met with a wave of something greater and harder. So, as you're thinking again about your list of words that describe you, are there any words about you that maybe you didn't choose for yourself? I think about depression, anxiety, Anger, hopelessness, fear. Some of these identities start really small. There's a little 
twinge of anxiety about our job. There's a tiny amount of fear about our kids. There's this small feeling of hopelessness because maybe you haven't found your life partner yet. Whatever it is can start small. And then as we try to defeat it on our own, sometimes it comes back in these waves that are bigger and greater until we no longer can recognize ourselves and our identity has morphed into this thing that's out of our control. Sometimes these labels that are on us for longer and longer just feel harder and harder to get out from under. But God. Mary Magdalene was delivered from her unbearable identity by a savior who saw her true worth. And he was not going to let her stay in that dark place, but led her into truth of promises. The second category that I wanna talk to you about is, I'm calling it identity of life stage. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, in Genesis 18, 10 through 15, God sends a messenger to Abraham to tell him that his wife will have a son within the next year, keeping in mind that Abraham and Sarah are literally like 100. Okay, so in verse 12, her response says, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Sarah had assumed that because of her life stage, God could not accomplish his goals for her. Her identity as a worn out woman with a so old husband was telling her that she could not walk out the promises that God made. Now, I'm looking around this room and there is no one that looks like a worn out woman or a so old man. But I do think that often we allow our life stage to define who we are. So we excuse ourselves from stepping into the promises or the places that God wants us to inhabit because maybe you feel like you're too young and inexperienced or maybe you're not in a stable place financially. Maybe because you're single or in an unhappy marriage or even though no one looks like it, you feel like you're too old to walk in these promises that the Lord has for you. And I think that we allow our circumstances to start to define our character and who we are. The third category I'm calling identity of choices. Um, so two weeks ago, Jake talked to us a little bit about Rahab. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho, and she hid the spies from Jerusalem and saved them, and then in turn, God saved her life when the walls of Jericho fell. Um, the identity of Rahab is the one that's most impactful to me, because being a prostitute was a choice. It wasn't something that she didn't ask for. It wasn't an affliction, and it wasn't a stage of life. And we don't know the desperation and the situation that led her to those choices, but I think oftentimes the choices that we make that define us are out of desperation or hard situations. So she was working in a job that I think if you were to create like a spectrum of morality would be like pretty far on the immoral side, a job that if you were to call somebody who wasn't a prostitute, a prostitute is about the worst insult you can hurl at somebody. And if I were her, I feel confidently that I would not have had the boldness to ask to be spared. I wouldn't have thought that God cared about me. 
I would have thought that I deserved whatever consequences were coming and that I just needed to accept the fate that was coming for me. How often do you allow your choices to define you? Maybe there is a sin or a behavior that you keep repeating and you feel so ensnared by it that it has become part of how you see yourself. It is so easy to identify as our worst actions. And I want to be really clear, I'm not condoning living in sin. Jesus told the woman at the well, go and sin no more. But what I am saying is that we shouldn't live under sin. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I really love this verse because it doesn't ignore the fact that our sin entangles us. It ensnares us. It can grab on and be really hard to get out of. But the the verse also says to just throw it away. It doesn't say dwell on it. It doesn't say keep it close by. It doesn't say keep it so you can pick it back up. It just says throw it away. And I think sometimes we want to sit in that guilt and dwell on those choices instead of putting them aside and stepping into the promises that he has. The fourth category is the one that kind of came to me today as I was just praying and thinking. Um, And I'm going to call that an identity of personality traits. Um, I am an extreme introvert. Uh, If you have never had a conversation with me, it is because I sprint like an Olympic gold medalist away from conversations. I am supremely awkward, and I don't do small talk well. I think that's one of the first things I ever said to you. I don't like small talk. I am a business, no-nonsense, move-on kind of girl. But I think I've let that define me. I think that we have things that the Lord has created in us that are good and right and that he wants us to live in, but we twist them and we use them as security blankets to become the person that feels safe instead of the person that feels blessed and gifted in what he has for you. Maybe you're a person that's the opposite of me. Maybe you are really outgoing and you have lots to say, but maybe you have a hard time controlling your tongue. Or, you know, I thought about maybe you're like a type A person and you're really good at um, organizing, but you have a hard time letting go of control. All of these personality traits, the Lord formed you in your mother's womb. He made those things about you and they are good. But how are you using them? And are you making them your identity or are you using them as part of the way to glorify him? So with all of that being said, How does the Bible identify you? So I started looking for verses to kind of talk about our identity in Christ, and I was honestly overwhelmed. There are countless scriptures that tell us how the Lord sees us. Um, And I just chose a few, but as we're going through these, just listen for what the Bible says about who you are and think about those words that you think define you. So John 1, 11 through 13 says, He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I hear in this verse that our identity is not a mistake. It is not something to be taken lightly, and we are told that we are given the right to become children of God. 
The word right in this verse is the Greek word exousia, and it means the power of authority. So the identity that you have as a child of God is not passive. It comes with power, and it comes with authority. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So if you're struggling with an identity that you feel like is crushing to you, this verse tells me that you don't have to tackle that alone. He is the power over all. He has the authority, and he is fighting for you. Romans 6, 6, and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I think that our choices feel like masters to us a lot of times. Like we don't control them, they control us. But this verse tells us we are no longer slaves to that, that you can walk in freedom and it does not have to define you. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, I really love how he says a royal priesthood. Being a priest was the highest honor back then, but then somehow, like, the Lord tops that and says, you are a royal priesthood. What he sees you as is the best of the best. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall all be like him, for we shall all see him as he is. Romans 8, 31 through 37 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I just want to pause right there, and that even applies to you. You don't get to be against yourself. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or depression or anxiety or old age or being single or feeling like you're not the right person that you're supposed to be? No. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are more than a conqueror. There is so much encouragement in these verses, but I especially love how this one ends. We cannot conquer any of these things on our own. But through him who loved us, we are more than conquerors. 
And finally, Ephesians 5, 8 says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. I could go on and on. There are so many more verses in the Bible that show us who we truly are in Christ. But what I want to point out about all of these verses that we just read, there are no qualifiers except that we love Jesus and follow him. It doesn't say that if you struggle with depression, you can't be a conqueror. It doesn't say that if you're young and single, you don't get his power and authority yet. It doesn't say that if you feel like you're entangled in sin, that you are not a child of light. The walls that we create for ourselves, that we think keep God from seeing us, are insignificant to him. He sees us as children of light no matter how we see ourselves. I think that unfortunately we miss out on a lot of the promises and the freedom that he wants us to have because we don't live in those promises that he wants to give us. We hold up our self-inflicted identities as masks and tell him that they are bigger or stronger or too much for him to work with. So how do we shift our identity to match how God sees us and how does that impact those around us? How do we step into the promises and our identity in Christ? Um, I think the first step is dealing with what we can. Uh, If you feel like some of your identity is a result of a sin that you're living in, that's something that we need to address. So again, when Jesus told the woman at the well, go and sin no more, he didn't reject her because of her sin. He didn't send her away. He wanted to free her from the bondage that she was under. He encouraged her to turn and to just walk in a new direction. So I would encourage you to do the same. Repent. Ask for help. We are not meant to walk that journey alone. We are brothers and sisters. As children of Christ, we are a family. So I would encourage you to reach out to those around you for accountability, for encouragement. We want to lift each other up. But I also think that there's another side of that. I think that sometimes we have this mask of perfection that we wear that we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable because it feels scary and it makes us feel like we're not in control. But when that happens, the safe space that maybe somebody that's struggling needs is not there. So be willing to open yourself up and also be willing to go and ask for help when you need it. Uh, When it comes to dealing with identities about life stage, uh, I think the best place that you can go is to scripture and find examples of other people who were walking in the same stage of life as you and see how God used them. For example, being single didn't stop the Apostle Paul, being broke didn't slow down John the Baptist, a difficult marriage didn't hinder Esther, Being being young was not a problem for Timothy, and being old didn't stop Elizabeth. I think there are so many examples in scripture of people who are in circumstances that we identify as broken, that God saw as potential, and he used them in great ways. So I'd encourage you, seek out those examples. Look for people who are in the stage of life that you are in and see what God did through them. Finally, there's this identity like Mary Magdalene that we feel maybe wasn't by choice. Um, and feels impossible sometimes to get out from under. And sometimes it is on your own. Depression, addiction, anxiety, anger, hopelessness, fear can feel insurmountable. There was a reason that Mary Magdalene hadn't cured herself. Because she couldn't. 
She needed the divine to do the impossible. I believe that God loves each and every one of you as much as he loves Mary Magdalene. And he wants to give you that freedom and that healing. You have to ask him. You have to give that up to him and ask for his healing. I think we also need to ask for help from professionals, from loved ones. Get the help that you need, especially from other believers, to be freed from an identity that you maybe can't shake on your own. These three women all had identities that could have been the end of their stories. Mary Magdalene could have been a demon-possessed woman that lived her whole life under tyranny. Sarah could have died a childless, worn-out woman. And Rahab could have just been another prostitute that died when Jericho fell. But God. Mary Magdalene was the first person to lay eyes on our risen Savior. Sarah mothered the whole nation of Israel. Rahab was a direct descendant of David and in the lineage of our King Jesus. So thank God that our identities that we choose or that the world gives to us are not his plan for us. We just have to have a willing heart. Um, To close, I want to read you a verse that Liz Shahan gave to us at the women's retreat last year that has really encouraged me as I've been walking through this idea of identity. It's from Ephesians verse 3, verses 15 through 18. It says, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. His identity of you is pure and perfect, not by anything that you have done or can accomplish, but by the blood of his Son. I would ask you to just let yourself rest in that identity today. Let me just pray for us as we close. Um, God, I just thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for um, allowing me to stand up and speak in front of them. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you give us your eyes to see your heart for each one of us. Um, Let those walls that we've built for ourselves come down. You didn't help us build those, and you don't want them there. Give us the freedom from the identities that are holding us back to our true purpose and identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen.